uh, we continue our series today. Uh, but first, I want to explain the shiny bracelet, which you will see as I speak with my hands, like I always do, right? Uh, I came back from the World Series of Baseball. And you can tell all the baseball fans are there. Okay, you get the idea. I, I drove back this, uh, this evening because I really wanted to preach about sin. So excited to preach about sin. If you guys come to Grace Church, you know, I love to beat you over the head with sin and hell and money. My favorite topics. I'm kidding. If you haven't been here, you know, I don't like those topics because typically they're taught really poorly, right? Now, I did want to talk about sin. I was so excited. I never get to talk about sin. And now I get to talk about sin, and guess what happened? I got charismatic today. Now, I'm not, I'm not sure if you guys grew up in charismatic churches. Here's how it works. We tell everyone all week, oh, man, the God's speaking to me. I've got this amazing sermon. But we all know, wink, wink, what's going to happen is we're going to show up on Sunday, and the Spirit's going to speak to us. And almost three Sundays out of four, we get up and be like, I'm sorry. I had to change the sermon. Spirit spoke to me. Okay, no one went to those churches. That's where I went to. And it was, and it, you know, it, we always act like it was a surprise, but it was every week. And I loved it because my nature is what? Three notes anyway, right? So I, you know, I used to thrive in that culture. But then we started doing series, you know, and Pastor Zach's like, hey, if you could give me like a little heads up on what you're talking about, that'd be great. And he just really like messed up my mojo. So now I'm going back to my charismatic roots. Yes, you better believe it. Uh, Pastor Zach's in the booth. He's going to love this. So I'm calling an audible. I want to talk about sin today, but I can't. I talk about another S word. Are you guys ready? Let's everyone talk about shame. Now, shame and sin are cousins, right? And so with these cousins, I want to talk about them because we're talking about, in the larger picture of our series, we're talking about how the American church is broken and the ways that we need to see God move to heal it, and the ways that we need to participate in obedience and seeing it healed. And so, as much as I want to talk about sin, I feel like we can't talk about sin until we talk about shame. Now, shame is a byproduct, meaning it's something that happens after something else happens. Shame is this experience that human beings go through. What's interesting was I used to think that shame was just an emotional experience. Since then, I've I've learned some really interesting things about what takes place in the human brain, what takes place in the human body when we experience shame. What's interesting about shame is that shame is actually something that is found in animals as well. It's not just an emotion. It is a physical, psychological experience that is trying to communicate to that being, right, to that species. It's telling it that something has just happened that is going to threaten it. It's going to limit its ability to survive because this behavior is going to cause your group, your family, your tribe, your nation, your church to put you on the outside. Now, if we all went to the Amazonian jungle, we'd all probably die anyway, right? But assume that we had some good skills, right? Someone can make a fire, someone could hunt, someone can make a, you know, a shelter. Brian, yeah, you and me, buddy, partners. He's going to hunt for me and can cook for me. And <laughs> Okay, you get the idea. What happens if you do something and then we move you to the outside of the campground? You're no longer part of our group. You're on your own. The snakes and, you know, the, I don't even know what kind of wild animals there are. Honestly, it's the insects. You and the insects, that's what you get, right? Because you have broken our rules. And because you've broken our rules, you are now on your own. You are now alone, right? isolated. 
What's interesting about this, it seems very primal. It seems like a, a thing we'd see in animals. If you begin to study human history, this is the thing you see. Shame is actually a crucial part of keeping large groups together, meaning civilization. Shame is how you keep a team together, a family together, a church together, a nation together. In my charismatic churches from childhood, if I were to be in worship, and it was a really special moment, and so if the lights went out, and if everyone started to get wild, and people started pulling out tambourines and flutes and dancing and flags were going, if you stood there like this, oh, you better watch the eyes, because someone's going to catch you. And if they catch you not doing what the tribe does, guess what you are going to experience? Would you like to know what it's called? Shame. And you are, and people are going to bring it up to you, so how's your prayer life doing? Is there sin in the camp? Because I noticed that you weren't dancing to the song. Now, I could bring up examples from all the different church tribes, right? It's not just a thing with charismatics. If we were all at a ball game right now, imagine COVID did not exist, okay? We were at a baseball game. And to start the game, the national anthem and the flag was waving in all its beauty. It's blowing with the stars. And everyone stands up. What happens if you sit down and cross your arms? What will you experience? Hey, hey, it's okay to have your own opinion. Is that what you're going to hear? You will experience cultural shaming. First, it's going to be the mom with the kid who looks at you and then turns her kid away. Come on, laugh a little bit. Yeah, Master, you still laugh, right? You know what you're going to get. And then it's going to be the guy who walks over, <clears throat> right? Because we don't know this, right? But human beings are motivated through fear of harm far more than reward. It's what gets us going in the morning, right? Oh, I don't want to go work out, but I have this workout. But what happens if I don't go to the gym when that person's supposed to meet me at the gym? That text message, right? Hey, so... Uh, Sleeping in today? Had a long night, did you? Come on now. Shame. Shame is a crippling thing. Shame, biologically, shame begins to trigger certain muscles and chemicals in your brain, your body, that literally begin to paralyze you. I'm not sure if you've ever experienced something where you were so embarrassed, you were so full of shame, that it just it froze you. It's almost as if you couldn't speak, you couldn't respond, you couldn't move. You just felt stuck in that moment. What they found in studies is that people who deal with intense shame begin to experience numbness and isolation at an increasing rate. Their ability to connect to people begins to go down drastically. They cease to have the ability to live. If you guys have your Bibles, go to Genesis 3.6. Genesis 3, 6, I'll probably take us through verse 11. So when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made 
coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord to God as he walked in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Verse 11, here's the part to underline. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I command you not to eat from? If you go back to verse 10, there's a line here where he says, I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. Now, what's crazy about this is, if I were to begin to talk to you guys about your favorite moments in life, I want you to tell me about the absolute best moment in your life. You could tell me a lot about it. Okay, well, I think it happened at this place, and, I, you know, it was this beach, and I could feel the sun. It was just a great experience. But if I ask you to begin to depict to me the moment of your deepest experience of shame, where you were the most embarrassed, you felt the most alone, what's crazy about this is you will be able to access more details and more memories about your experience of shame then you can joy, pleasure, or happiness, or even love. Because your body and brain are so wired for survival that that experience of shame, knowing that this thing could cost me my friends, it could cost me my church, it could cost me my job, it could cost me being a part of something else. There's a bigger point that we're circling around here. I want you to see this. And so shame was one of the ways that we are kind of corralled. It's one of the ways that we are kind of kept inside the lines of whatever group you have. You might not know it, but every group you're in, your actual biological family, your friendship groups, because we all know we have different friendship groups, right? Every single group where you gather with other human beings has unspoken rules that you cannot break. Every single group. And you know those rules. Even if you don't know those rules, you know them. So what happens at a church if you don't serve? What happens at a church if you don't give? What even happens at a church if you don't show up? Well, at most churches, right? What happens? You experience these things. Now, what's so odd about the American church, and when I talk about the American church, I mean specifically in the last about 150 years. We have created a certain rule which almost makes no sense. It's a rule that almost breaks all other tribal rules. Because we talk about sin in a certain type of way, we explain to people how awful they are. You were born a mess. You are totally depraved. Everything about you, when you, you can't even help it, but you are broken, completely messed up, and because of that, God can't have anything to do with you but thankfully, he put all his anger at us into his son, and now you get to come in. But only if you remember every day that you are a terrible person. That's all sorts of words I want to put in there. See, what we've created in the American church is a tribe of shame, meaning this. The number one rule to get into our tribe is to accept shame. To come into our group, the first thing you have to do to come up here to say a prayer at the altar, the first thing you have to do is experience shame. I, no, 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 no. 
you aren't really saved until you know how much of a sinner you are. Until you own how messed up and ugly and smelly no one would ever want you. Until you own that, you can't be a part of this church. Oh, and we celebrate it. Look, this person's crying because of how awful they've been in their life. Amen. They're experiencing shame. Isn't that terrific? As if this is the only place they could experience shame. I guarantee if I sat down with you, I could help you trace shame experiences to your childhood with parents, shame to school. Goodness gracious, we've all experienced shame at school, right? Shame and work. But none of those places made you own shame before you even entered into the group. Just to get a seat, the first thing we want you to do is experience shame. Now, you know, I've been working with people people for about 16 years now. And I continually see this popping up over and over and over again. There is a certain type of behavior that begins to come out of someone who is broken. Before I go, I want to explain this. When I was growing up, I used to hear a lot about how afraid the pastors were of what could happen if you believe you came from a monkey. You ever hear that before? You tell someone to come from a monkey, they're going to act like monkeys. You ever hear that before? They're going to, you know, amen. And of course, in my mind, I, you know, I just thought church services, people throwing poop, you know. Well, it's kind of fun, you know, I guess. If you tell them they come from a monkey, they're going to act like monkeys. As scary as that image of flying poop could be to many people, right? If you tell them that they come from sin, what do you expect them to act like? If you tell them that they come from being absolutely, utterly broken and depraved and evil, what do you expect them to look like? If you tell them from the get-go, you have something you need to hide, what do you expect them to do to everyone that they see? Hide. It's so interesting to me, you know, here at Grace Church the last six years, um, I talk a lot about how churches are the least helpful place for growing spiritually often, because we encourage people to wear masks every day. We encourage them to fake everything, to speak positive to everything, to act like God is always on their side, to act like they're always trusting God, to act like every, oh, I've been healed and, and set free. Everything's great. I'm fine. If this place was truly a hospital, if Jesus was truly sent to those who were sick, and if the sickness truly is sin, then this should be the first place that sin is seen. When you go to a hospital, are we hiding the fact that sick people are there? Oh, nothing to see here. Everybody's fine in this wing. We're just having coffee. No surgeries or blood. Everything's fine. No one ever dies here. This is a great place to have your kid's birthday party, right here at the hospital. See, what happens is when the first step into a family, family, is to own shame, it means the first unspoken rule is this. You better hide yourself 
or you will not be accepted here. If you do not hide yourself, and if you don't learn to hide yourself well, you will lose us because we won't have you as you truly are. We are a, a tribe of shame is what we've become. If you guys have your Bibles, go to Hebrews 13. Before I read this passage, there's some, some uh, pretext I'm going to give you. Understand that this is assuming that we know a lot about um, Hebrew stories and sacrificial kind of practices. But just get this, right? It's the same idea of a tribe, right? You want to be inside. Historically speaking, the goal of the people of God was always to be included in what God was doing. And so the campsite, the, the tribal grounds, the city is always a picture of being in with God. So I just want to read this. Uh, verse 11. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering. But the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. So let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace that he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Now what I find so powerful about this passage, what's in here but it's not, what's not being spoken, what's assumed that you understand, the entire idea of this passage is that it's not us who has to crawl on our knees to get into the camp. That we literally have a Savior who is the one who comes out of the camp to us. Meaning, shame is the experience of being on the outside, of being alone. But salvation and forgiveness is the experience that you are not alone anymore. And that God is the one who literally leaves this place of safety. It's almost like, I'm sure you've seen the passion. There is this, this long walk that pilgrims, uh, they follow now, trying to retrace the steps of Jesus as he carries the cross. And like literally this path leads you outside the city gate. And what's beautiful about Jesus leaving the city gates is his his leaving, his choosing to be not accepted, his allowing himself to be pushed to the outside means that we will never be on the outside. There is no outside anymore. If God is on the outside, then what is really being on the inside? Are you, are you, are you catching what I'm saying? If God is out there, then what does it matter being in here? The game was never to stay in the tribe and to hide. The, the, the truth was always to allow God to lead us to the place where all the rejects go anyway, where all the people who had to experience shame had to go anyway. This was always the point. The city was going to be built outside of every city that had ever existed. In this city, this place of belonging was the place where there's only one right to enter. We only get to enter one way into this city. And that one way is as we are. So, in baptism, we don't quite do this anymore because, you know, I don't have time to explain it all, but I'll just say this. Uh, there was a time in baptisms where you were baptized naked. That was the idea. I don't need to explain, all, you know, all the details. 
wow, wouldn't that be an interesting experience? But the first thing that you experienced when you came out of the water, they had a robe for you, a white robe. And if you, if you look into the scriptures, there's all sorts of symbolism about the saints are always clothed in this white robe. And the white robe was a picture that what covers us now, that there's no need, we don't have to hide anymore. I don't need to clothe myself. Are you hearing me? I don't need to put a mask on anymore. I don't need to clothe or hide anything anymore. Because from this point on, what clothes me, what covers me, I no longer experience shame because everything in, in who I am, let's have this picture, is now wrapped in Christ. And that wrapping is not just a covering because I'm naked, it's an acceptance. What's beautiful about Genesis is that God doesn't go, oh, you're naked? Oh my goodness. I, I, it's a good thing that you found those figs to sew together. Thank the Lord. I'm not sure if I want to walk with you anymore if you are naked. I mean, now that I know. See, so much of this journey is not about God being able to embrace us. It's about us allowing and learning to let God embrace us. It's not convincing God to love us enough to, to bring us close. It's us allowing ourselves to believe that we are now capable of being loved. And if you spent 16 years working with people, you would know that almost every sin I deal with, when I deal with people who are doing the dumbest, most harmful, ugly things you can imagine, when I trace it back, I always find the same thread. Here is someone who believes that they are alone. Here's someone who believes that they're not good enough. Here's someone who believes that they are not worthy of being loved. And they're trying to hide. We've created a tribe of shame. have any uh, three steps to, you know, figure out how to not be in shame anymore. I don't have that this morning. But what I do have is this. I wish I could give you three steps to teach you how to not live in shame. I wish it was that easy. It is a lifelong process of growing and allowing yourself to be healed. But a good place to start is finding a place where you don't have to hide yourself. And that's what you have here. You don't need to hide yourself anymore. This is, if, if we are called to be like Christ, called to those who are sick, called to those who have brokenness in them because they were born into a broken world, who hurt people because they literally have been wounded and hurt themselves, then this is the place to not need the mask, except for the virus. But you don't need to fake or to hide anymore. So I just encourage you. There are some people around you right now that you can fully be yourself with. And I would start there. That's